Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Long Beach State, baby. Eight-point win last night, right, Jimmy? Indeed, it was an eight-point win over those Rainbow Warriors of Hawaii. They were once coached was Long Beach State by Seth Greenberg, who joins us now, ESPN college basketball analyst. Seth, I want to thank you for your time today, and I will actually get right to the local meat of the matter. Um, Coming off of the game against Purdue, I I thought Indiana in that game, again, was kind of exposed over just lack of outside shooting. And I guess my question for you is, can Mike Woodson get things going in the right direction to get Indiana some decent quad one wins without outside shooting? Do they have enough with Khalil Ware and Malik Renew and Mbako in the mid-range game to be able to get success without being able to shoot from the outside? Well, let me see Marjorie Vera, that's for sure. It's tricks your Marjorie Vera. I mean, you, you know, in the end, you got to make shots, but you also got to get stops and you got to take care of the basketball. And I think the bigger issue is, you know, their point guard play has been inconsistent. I, I think Galloway is, is the answer, not Xavier Johnson. I can tell you that much. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you think of Indiana, you think of a guy who's going to make shots. Uh, you know, those big guys, I mean, early in the season, they were using Colwell as, as as a perimeter, you know, stretch five. But, you know, let's face it, you only win so many games when your five-man is spending more time behind three-point line than he is establishing low post position or short rolling and being a playmaker or getting to the offensive glass. So, yeah, you can, but you're going to have to do a lot of things better. You're going to have to be better defensively. You're going to have to be tougher for a long period of time. You're going to have to take care of the basketball. You're going to have to uh, – run better offense uh, to, you know, to get good shots. Just, you know, if you can't shoot threes, you still can score. Play ahead of defense, get a stop, play ahead of defense. Uh, you know, get the ball, move the ball, move people, get post-ups or get isolations, which you can do with Renault, you can do with Mbako a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, play all your your your, your shot making comes from, you know, inside-out penetration, second penetration, kick. Well, you're probably going to make at least stepping threes or good threes. Most teams that shoot poorly from the three-point line, it's because they're not taking good three-point shots. I mean, it, it, you know, it sounds silly, but that's 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 the truth in the thing. I mean, take good shots, and most times guys are going to make open stepping threes. If you're not getting good shots, you know what? It's hard. It's hard to uh, be a good shooter. Hey, I want to go back to a comment that you made there, Coach, in talking about Xavier Johnson. I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. At, at this point, this guy I don't know why is. Is everything else you said a lie? Because now that you can be honest with me, I appreciate it. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I'm. I, I just at this point, with his age and the lack of maturity that he shows, I, I just I'm over it. I, you know what I mean? Like I just I don't know. I, I know he's probably been hurt, but he has struggled to shoot the basketball. I don't know what he brings to them at this point, and I'm in agreement with you. I, you gotta you gotta hand it away from him. I, can he? Is he a detriment to Indiana? I don't know. I'm not, you know, you can't say he's a detriment. I'm not in practice every day. I'm not on campus. Obviously, he's had some incidents on and off campus that haven't been ideal, allegedly. Uh, 
you know, more importantly, when you have a guy like that, you need someone that he should be coaching your locker room. And if that guy becomes a distraction coach in your locker room, then absolutely when you have these talented young players, who's setting the example? Like, here's the deal. I mean, like, a player-led team, as Tom Izzo always says, is better than a coach-led team. Well, who's the leader of that locker room in Indiana? Who's got, going to be the guy to say this is unacceptable? We got run at home in Assembly Hall against Purdue. Now, Purdue is a really good team with the immovable object and a team that has trust, that can make shots, that guys embrace roles, that, you know, guys, you know, who were starting a year ago, like, you know, like Caleb First, who now are embracing roles. So that's the definition of a team. Um, your locker room, I, I would say the bigger issue is, like, who is coaching the locker room? Uh, and I don't put that on, uh, you know, Woody. I put that basically on maybe the makeup or, you know, the makeup of their team. But uh, I would think their locker room after the other night is a little bit fragile, and I think their guard play has been – hasn't been up to – you know, to been good enough, I mean, quite honestly. ESPN College Basketball Analyst Seth Greenberg is our guest Seth, when you look nationally at the best guards in the country, a a year ago, Purdue was not in that conversation. In fact, it was one of the formulas of ways to beat them. You focused on Edie. Their guards are not going to be able to respond. They're not going to bail them out with long-range threes. That's their weakness. That's clearly become a strength for them, and they've ironed that out, at least to this point in the season. When you look nationally at other programs in that same echelon, does Purdue's guard play now belong there, or do you still need to see more from them? Well, I think it belongs. Look, the freshmen become sophomores, and they get better, and they work on their game. And they look, they, they're human. They listen to all the stuff that's been said. You know, they understand St. Peter's. They understand Fairleigh Dickinson. Um, people get, you know, they, you get up and underneath those Purdue guards. You, know, you can take them out. And, and they, you know, look, Northwestern beat them. Guard play was really good against them. But those guys are good. I think Lance Jones is huge. A guy that can guard on the perimeter, uh, a guy with some physicality to him, who can also make a shot, had a big game the other night. You know, Braden Smith's playing as well as any point guard in the country. Like, he's Aaron Kraft with a jumper. I mean, he's got a toughness about him. He rebounds his position. I mean, he's five a game, five assists, 40 from the three. Very good in ball screens. You know, lawyers are specialists. At times, can be a liability defensively. But... Yeah, I think their their guard play is is good. I mean, every, there's no there isn't a team out there that anyone is just you you go, "Oh my goodness." I mean, Kentucky's guards are probably the deepest when you can bring Dillingham and Shepard off the bench. Obviously, that's a luxury. Uh that's, you know, a positive for sure. Uh you know, you look at uh, North Carolina and the way RJ Davis is playing. You know, Cadeau's been solid, you know, backing him up. Uh, they bring Trimble off the bench. I mean, that's impressive. The guards at Alabama are explosive with Sears and Estrada and, and Ryland Griffin. Uh, you know, they're good. I mean, there there are other good backcourts, but I would put Purdue's backcourt uh, up against anyone. I like Purdue because I like the versatility of their frontcourt. They can they go small with Gillis or they can play first. They can play Kaufman Wren or, you know, they can do a lot of different things. Uh so, I mean, that's what makes them so good. Yeah, I was just going to – to touch on that, was going to ask about what you like about Purdue's – like, are they – is Purdue more offensively versatile this year than last? That's not to say they weren't last year, Coach, but I felt like, you know, the Fairleigh Dickinson game, for example, you mentioned. I mean, Edie is so good, but then then they struggled elsewhere, and it seems to me like Matt Painter has come up with different ways now – there aren't many games where Zach Eady's not going to be effective, right? I mean, let's just be honest. But 
but it feels like they are more equipped now to deviate if they need to offensively away from that if situation calls for it than they were a year ago. Is that a is that a fair statement? Yeah, well, I think I think Braden makes more plays now. Even in late games, you put him in a two man game. You know, if you think about Purdue, a lot of their stuff is going to be dribble handoff, roll Edie down to the post. They get post him posted up in the middle of the lane, and it's over. He's missed a triple double, point three bounds, and free throws attempted. I mean, he's going to get fouled or score, or he's going to rebound his miss. Uh, you know, now you know Braden's coming off that screen. You know, if, if you deviate and you get caught up on that screen and they stay attached to it, he's shooting a he's floater, he's shooting a pull up. If you go underneath there and get caught on that higher screen, you know, he gets an inch, he's gonna knock that thing down. Uh so I mean yeah, I think they have more, you know, more weapons uh to complement Zach for sure. Seth Greenberg is our guest. Seth, when you look at the Big Ten as a whole, I don't mean from like a how many bids they're going to send standpoint, but just from a nightly basis compared to the last couple of years, are there still quality wins to obtain without like, cannibalizing the rest of the conference? In other words, having a team that's trying to fight to get into the tournament versus having a team that's to advance their overall tournament resume? I think most teams cannibalize. Most leagues cannibalize each other. I mean, that's if you get good teams. But you know, you know I, always, I I talk about leagues like uh, I talk about post defense. If you do your work early, then it's good for everyone. So you know, teams that did the work early, it's good. Now I, you can't have the bad losses. And like, look at what Rutgers is doing now. Rutgers is winning games. Penn State's winning games. Minnesota is still struggling. So you can't. You can't. You know, ideally, you can't. Surely, can't lose to those teams at home. I mean, that's just. You know that that will absolutely kill you, but uh, but I think that the, you know the league is better than people think. I mean, uh, it's so easy to trash the Big Ten. In fact, I'm doing something in the Big Twelve this week, and it's it's, it's in college game day, and you know people say, "Oh, look, the Big Ten gets ten teams in the NCAA tournament. They don't get teams." Well, you know, there's one or two teams that are you know one, two, or three seeds, and all the rest of those guys are like seven, eight, nine, and ten, or last four in. Well, you're going to lose a bunch of games because, you know, those are toss-up games. So, But, I, you know, I, I look at the league. Look, you have enough opportunities to get quad one and quad two wins. You know, you got Wisconsin. You got Purdue. You got Illinois. You got Northwestern on the road. You know, you, I would think – I'm not sure what Indiana's net is. Indiana on the road is an opportunity. There's so many opportunities to get quad one wins uh, that, uh, you know, if you can string a, together a bunch of wins – you got a shot, and you know it's real simple: win the right games, don't lose the wrong games. College basketball analyst for ESPN, Seth Greenberg, is our guest. In that, when you're talking about like you know the Minnesotas, the Penn States, got teams that are starting to Minnesota starting to try to get where Penn State is in terms of getting footing. Is there a team nationally speaking, Seth, that you look at and you say, you know, their record right now? is misleading because they took lumps early by testing themselves and now it's paying dividends because they're starting to come together and they're a different team than they were in November or December and don't let the record fool you they are now suddenly on the right trajectory any any team that jumps out at you with that you know it's so crazy the college basketball this year in terms of jumping out i think that i think it's it's been interesting obviously in league play and all these leagues that you know people are winning on the road i mean you could say you could say ucf look at their last week but i don't think see that was an NCAA tournament i'd say the biggest one is wake forest 
you know, Wake Forest, uh, now that they got F. Reed back, and so they, he's back, and they got, you know, they got Boopy Miller, who transferred from Central Michigan, who's really dynamic, and they got Hunter Silas, who's playing well. But when they got F. Reed back, what it did was their starting five is as good as anyone. And they got a rim protector, and they got a lob threat, and they got a guy who could rebound the ball on the offensive end. So, I mean, if you look at what they did early on, I mean, they lost to Georgia, who, by the way, I just spent time watching Georgia. They are really going to be good. They're, they would be a team that has some upside. Uh, they lost to Utah. They lost to LSU. Then they ripped off like eight or nine in a row. Now, they've lost two of the last three, but, you know, both of those have been on the road. But I, I think that Wake Forest has a chance to do something pretty special if they can win the right games. I really like what I went over a couple of weeks ago and watched Indiana State play Evansville. I really like what Indiana State's done. Uh, and, you know, here they are with Drake at 6-1 and one in the Moval. I think the Moval is such a well-coached league. But the question is, for you, Seth Greenberg, is the Moval going to be a two-bid league? Can they get yeah, – I think it will. Okay, so you think, think ISU's think got a shot then? Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think, I think think it will. Um I'll tell you, Indiana State's good. Offensively, man, are they good. I mean, you talk about real good stuff. Uh, they shoot it. They pass it. I mean, they got a couple guys. Uh, what is it, Avila, who looks like he should be playing in the beer league. But, <laughs> but, he does, man. But, but, but you know what? The guy's good. He's got good footwork, good hands. Um, he reminds me a little bit of, uh, of the big Kohler, the big kid at, at – uh, at Michigan State with his footwork and his hands. You know, it does look good, plays good. But when you shoot 41 from the three and you shoot 60 from the two and, you know, you sit, you, know, you, you make the right play, uh, they're a really good team. Love Swoop. Swoop's a really, really nice guard. Uh, and, and just the stuff that they run. I mean, they're, it's really, they're really impressive. Now, they're a younger team overall. I think the hardest thing about Indiana State is can they keep their guys? Totally, I mean, yep. And their coach, for that matter. Yeah, I mean, like, they're really good. You know, obviously Drake is, is very, very good. Uh, you know, the job that, that's being done at Bradley, I, I, I think that that my guy is just a – I think he's a terrific, terrific coach, Brian Worrell. I think he's a terrific coach. And you see that they got it going a little bit. They had that one stretch where they struggled. But they yeah, got they've won seven back. straight, Bradley. Yeah, yeah they're, they're, Brian's a really good coach. And, you know, you think about the players they lost. I mean, that that's the hardest thing. I mean, you know, you, you, that's the hardest thing with the Valley. I mean, look what Damascus is doing at, at at Illinois, and look what, you know, Lance Jones is doing at, at, at Purdue. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a really uh, – I feel bad for those guys because they do a great job of, of – of the most important part of recruiting is, is evaluating. They do a great job of evaluating. Then they do a great job of player development. And then people just jump up and you know take their players. I mean, uh, you know, and it's not, it's not nil. Let's stop going in nil. It's it's pay for play, and and that's what people are doing. They're just going buying, you know, basically buying guys off someone else's team. And you know, for, for those guys, I feel bad for those guys. I mean, like think about take Nebraska, take Mast off Nebraska. What happens? You know, I mean, you know. Put him on. Put him on back on Bradley. How good is Bradley? And and that's to that point. I, I just it, it is interesting. I, I don't know where you stop it. Like stop it's probably the wrong word, Coach. But like it, it is concerning. I was just t- having this conversation with somebody yesterday, and I, I'll just throw Ohio out there. I just said, you know, if you're the coach at Ohio University, then 
yeah. I mean, you get a guy that you get excited because you get a kid that really is playing well as a freshman or sophomore, and you spend half your time now you're having to re-recruit him, right? I mean, it, it just feels like at some you're point not the big boys want him, right? Going to get him. I mean, and what do you do? You know what I mean? I and and I guess my question for you, from a coaching standpoint, would be: Is that going to make it difficult for these schools to find coaches because? Guys are going to go, look, I just I don't want to deal with it anymore. You never have a hard time finding coaches to become a head coach. <laughs> I mean, that's not a problem. You treat it like a junior college. Mid-major basketball is turned into junior college. If you get a guy for two years, you, you evaluate him, you develop him, you get him for two years, and then you know what you do? You try to fill, fill his spot with a guy that's uh, a low major. And a low major goes into the D2, and it's just a effect. Seth Greenberg is our guest. Seth, there might be... There might not be a right way to do it nowadays when you look at the landscape of college athletics, but with the rules or lack thereof that are in place, when you look at the transfer portal, and let's look at the bigger schools, for example, when they tap into that, how should the portal as it's currently constructed be used? Should it be used to completely overhaul a roster, or should it be used to accent and complement recruiting classes? Depends on your team. I mean, you know, the Wake Forest starts four transfers, all right? Uh, Florida starts four transfers. It depends on the stage you are. It's it's an ability to rebuild your, you know, when you take over a job, it's ability to reboot quickly. Look what, you know, obviously Chris Beard has done at Ole Miss. Uh, on the other hand, what I call, I call it the new one and done is like the Cam Spencers of the world, the Hunter Dixons of the world, you know, uh, the ringmasters of the world where you just, boom, you plug and play. A guy uh, and and you know Harrison Ingram of the world, uh, so it, it all depends on what you're doing. Ideally, I think that you need to have some culture creators in your in your program, especially high majors. I just think that like if you if you look at like Danny Hurley, he, you know he's he brought a Cam Spencer, but he had Tristan Newton back, he had Alex Carabin back, he had Hassan Diara back, you know he had. Donovan Klingon back, but you you know, you needed Cam Spencer. You needed you needed a shot maker. You know, so I just think it's it's really hard. And I think I think it's hard in, in speaking to people like you're recruiting and you got your team, you think you're getting guys coming back. You take too many guys for the transfer portal, you know what's gonna happen? A bunch of your dudes that you thought were staying are leaving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's it's a it's a fine line. But my biggest thing is coach your team. Coach your team. At the end of the year, guys will stay cut. Guys, guys will go. But coach your team. I mean, like to me, the other well, I coach my guys hard. You know, he might leave. Well, if you coach him hard, then you he can't help you win anyway. That's why I love Danny Hurley. I love Bizzo. I love uh, you know Painter. And I don't, and that doesn't mean berate your guys. That just means coach your guys. Like you know, Danny Hurley. He, the Connecticut's as good as they are for a couple of reasons. He was a high school coach and didn't, didn't miss any steps. So when that when Caravan goes uh, when Klingon goes down or Castle goes down. You know what? You coach a team that's in front of you, like a high school coach would have to do. All right? And then you coach your guys every day. Coach them collectively, and you coach them individually every single day. And you hold them accountable to those things every day. And that's what good coaches do. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation.
Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Seth Greenberg is our guest, college basketball analyst for ESPN. Seth, when you look at year two for Thad Mata and Butler, there's been ups and downs, a really nice win on the road against Marquette a couple of weeks ago, followed by a couple losses in conference play. They sit at 2-5, and five, but 11-7 and seven overall. Where do you map out Butler if they are to finally break this drought and get back to the tournament? Yeah, I think they're a year away, to be honest with you. Uh, I love what Thad's doing. Uh, you know, that league will give you opportunities. There's no doubt about it. It'll give you opportunities for quad one wins, which is which is huge. Uh, and I like their team. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I, li- I like the makeup of their team. They're, uh, you know, they got to, fi- excuse me, finish some games out. And they, you know, got to learn how to, like, Seton Hall's hard to play against. Connecticut's better than them. I mean, that's just the way it is. I mean, so they still got to add talent. And you know they were in those games that they can't they can't close them, but they got guys you know from from transfer portal that are uh, that are more or less winning players, uh, tough kids, uh, more guys that I think that uh, you know Coach Mata can can relate to, and you can't let the cumulative effect of a conference beat you down. Like you know you got a you know you got a chance now. You got the Paul George not coming up, all right. Knock those two out. Get a little momentum coming into Villanova at home. That's what you got to do, but you're going to have a you know, just like any league. You're going to have a stretch where you got Villanova, Creighton, and Connecticut. You know, in the Big Twelve, you got that every single night. Uh, in the Big East, you have it most nights. In the SEC, you almost have it every single night. So, I mean, you got to put your big boy pants on and try to steal some wins. Lastly, Coach Seth Greenberg is our guest. Indiana tonight in Wisconsin, trying to break a long drought in Madison. Uh, where is Wisconsin vulnerable? I love this this Wisconsin team. Uh, you know, I think that you know this is a Wisconsin team that I, I think AJ Store has been a huge addition because he gives them a size at the wing, an athlete at the wing, as as is Blackwell, uh, that you know really, really you know can can you know impact winning and, and takes and takes pressure off. Look, Wisconsin doesn't turn over; they don't give you second shots. They keep you in front, and they force you to score over them. So I'll tell you what, Indiana, but you better run good offense, and then you better be disciplined defensively. Uh, because if you're not disciplined defensively, you're going you're to give up shots, uh, and you're going give, to give up the shots they want. Now, Wisconsin hasn't defended three great this year overall in their losses. You know, can you make threes? That's, a, that's an Achilles heel for uh, Indiana. So uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a little bit of a concern. Can you speed them up? I don't think you can speed them up. I don't think Indiana's built to really speed them up. And then it's their maturity. I mean, look at this in the end, I mean, this Wisconsin team. I mean, you know, this is a mature team. You know, whether it's, you know, whether it's Crow, whether it's Wall, whether it's Hepburn, those guys, you know, you know I think it's Kleinschmidt kid. I mean, those guys are tough, mature players. I think it's a bad matchup for, for Indiana, especially how they are right now. The biggest thing for Indiana also is, can you make the tough plays consistently? seems like to me when they get pushed back a little bit, they don't fight through that and do the hard things consistently. And 
you, you're not beating Wisconsin if you don't do the hard things consistently. Things like when you're down 15 to Purdue and Zach Eady's diving, giving up the skin on his knees to go after a loose ball and Kalir Ware's standing and watching. You can, that, that's not going to work against Wisconsin. That's a Wisconsin. pretty good example. That, that was, uh, <laughs> that, 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 you know what that, that was? That was a, a culture shock for anyone uh, in terms of comparing toughness, physicality, sense of urgency, having both feet in. Zach Eady, fourth, fourth gear guy, goes to the ground to get a loose ball. Yep, and because he's got two, both feet in, and then you you know you 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 hurt these quote unquote one and done guys. Do they have both feet in, or are they six month rental? That's a great point. See, they, man. That that's the problem. Is the static around some of those guys is the workout guy, the AU coach, the parents who are trying to monetize their kids, uh, and are they concerned about winning the, the the noise around these guys, or are they concerned about you know can my guy get drafted in the first round? Yeah. Uh, you see, it's it's absolutely visible, no question about it. Um, Coach, appreciate the time, and certainly enjoy the games this weekend, and we will enjoy watching your commentary on ESPN. All right, you got it. Thanks for having right. me. Thank you. Really Thanks, good Coach. stuff. Seth Greenberg. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, Ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. So, here's the question. Jimmy, you taking the window or the aisle? How long is the flight? Well, we're going all around the country here. We got basically, I've lined up for every city in the divisional round playoffs, except for everybody in San Francisco's eating clam chowder. Even though I said that like Boston, they do that in San Francisco, but they do it in a sourdough bowl. I'll take that aisle seat. You're taking the aisle seat? Yeah. So, uh, Eddie, sorry, you're in the middle, man, right? All right. All right, I'll take the window and I'll look out because it is time to go airborne and fly around the country on the two-minute drill. Spanning the globe. It's the two-minute drill. Starting us off, Landry Locker, Houston, Sports Radio 610, Texans and Ravens this weekend. Landry, let's begin with this. C.J. Stroud's been sensational. Have you seen anything in the postseason here that shows you any nerves at all from this rookie, or is he still cool as a cucumber? Yeah, I, I've seen no signs of him, the moment being too big for him. It goes back to, obviously, the Ohio State-Georgia game. Uh, but he had a historic rookie season uh, in the last two winner-go-home games. Uh, five touchdowns, no interceptions. His rating goes from 100.8 to 145.5. So if they lose this game, it's not going to be because the moment's too big for the quarterback. Do they open anything up for him that we have not already seen, or is it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and they keep status quo offensively? I'm sure they would like to, but the, the problem with the Texans right now is, you know, there's not a lot of explosive players on offense. You know, maybe we see Dalton Schultz a little more involved than he was week one against the Ravens. 
Uh, but right now, as far as like playmakers on this team, it's really Nico Collins and it's just a bunch of guys. So they might like to, but I don't know that they have the personnel to be able to do that. Rematch of week one, the year began with Houston and Baltimore. Ravens won that game. Does anything from what seems to be a year ago translate to this weekend? Uh, I, I think uh, Lamar Jackson's uh, playoff history, uh, Lamar Jackson's playoff history, it's, it's, it, we got a four-game sample size of that. You, know, you talk about C.J. Uh, seeming to have a sense of the moment. Lamar Jackson's 1-3 in the playoffs. Uh, he's one of the best regular season quarterbacks in recent history, but in the playoffs, he's bad. Uh, his rating goes from 98 to 68.3. To put that in perspective, a, a 68.3 rating this year wouldn't be top 50 in the NFL. It would be below Bailey Zappi uh, and right ahead of Jeff Driscoll. So the playoff history of Lamar, that's, that's really going to be the main storyline. That's going to be the main talking point. Uh, and if the Texans want to hang their hat on anything potentially, it's, you know, maybe Lamar Jackson just isn't the same quarterback in the playoffs. Last time they were in this situation, uh, a double-digit near-under uh, favorite with an MVP Lamar Jackson was 2019 against the Tennessee Titans, and they ended up losing by 16 points. Landry Locker, Houston Sports Radio 610. Appreciate the time. All right, appreciate you. Luke Jones of WNST in Baltimore talking about the Ravens. Luke, Ravens, this is always a topic of conversation in Indy, and that is when you are coming off of a week off in the postseason, do you need to keep playing? What about for the Ravens? Did they need to get back on the field, or did they need that week away? I think time's going to tell. I mean, four years ago, they clinched in week 16. They sat out week 17. Their key starters, including Lamar Jackson, and they had the bye week. And then they lost to the Tennessee Titans, even though they were a 10-point favorite. So the proof is going to be in the pudding. They did have some players that needed uh, to rest up. They're hoping to get Mark Andrews back, uh, their three-time Pro Bowl tight end. But we'll see. I think a fast start is the key to really seeing if that rust factor is going to be real for them. Not to take too much away from Baltimore, but it's a down year for Kansas City offensively. Joe Burrow's on the sidelines, and there's always been questions about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, especially in the postseason in his era. Does this feel like an if-not-now-when stretch for Baltimore? I mean, you just took the words out of my mouth. I mean, if Lamar Jackson's healthy, their window's not closing. I mean, this is a guy who's proven over the course of his career that he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the regular season. Now, January, to your point, has been a different story. It's not going to set up any better on paper for them in the foreseeable future. So it won't be their last chance, but you certainly have to think it's their best chance, at least for the next few years, no question. Luke, you've been around the Ravens' practices this week. They're going against a rookie quarterback in C.J. Stroud. How much have they emphasized to their roster? Look, he might be a rookie, but he's pretty darn poised. Don't overlook it. I, I think they better have uh, their attention because C.J. Stroud's done phenomenal things. And keep in mind, John Harbaugh, as a first-year head coach like Demeco Ryans, won a playoff game, advanced all the way to the AFC Championship with Joe Flacco. So uh, this Ravens team knows that it's a different uh, C.J. Stroud and Texans team than they saw in Week 1. So they better be ready because Houston certainly showed what they could do against Cleveland last week. Luke Jones, WNST Baltimore. Have a crab cake for us, all right? Thanks a lot, guys. Enjoy the games. Green Bay, Chris Roth, WBAY up in Wisconsin. All right, Chris, Jordan Love playing at a very high level. What has been the difference that has allowed this comfort level for this guy to come out now and suddenly become a premier quarterback in the league? Well, there's a multitude of factors there, Jake. Uh, obviously, he's surrounded by the youngest uh, group of uh, skill position players in the league. I mean, all these rookies, right? So. Not only is there a learning curve for a first-year starting quarterback, but all these guys got to learn the league. You can see flashes in training camp 
but they weren't on the same page early. And as those guys have grown more comfortable, I mean, it's really worked in, in lockstep. He's become more comfortable, and it, it, it's really exploded. And by extension, the coaching staff has become more comfortable with with the playbook and calling plays because now they know guys will more times than not be in the right spots where, where that wasn't always the case early on in the season when they were two and five. Uh, it has it has all grown at the same pace for all of them. Matt LaFleur talked earlier in the season, you know, we, we got to maybe we're asking these guys to do too much. We got to scale it back until we know they understand. Well, the, they've all started to understand at the same time. And that has made things better for Jordan, but that doesn't undersell what he's been able to do on his own. I mean, it, this stretch he's on is is really absurd, and I've been around here for a long time. I, I was here when Favre was here. I was here when Rodgers was at his peak. This playoff, this eight-game, nine-game stretch he's on now, 21 touchdowns, one interception. I mean, that, that's as good a quarterbacking run as I've ever seen. When people look at the Packers defensively, the commentary is they're young, they're talented, but they're very raw. They don't have that chiseled nature of teams that have been in the playoffs before. Against an offense like San Francisco, does that matter, or is that most likely what would be their undoing if they falter this weekend? Well, I think everybody pretty much agrees if they falter, it's probably going to be because of that. Uh, I would just push back a little bit on the young part. Uh, most of the veterans on this team are on the defensive side of the ball. The one thing you always hear if you turn on a broadcast is, oh, they've got eight number one picks on the defensive side of the ball, blah, blah, blah. People get number one picks wrong all the time, right? So it, just because you have eight number one picks doesn't mean they should be playing as the best unit in the league. Maybe they're just not all that good. Now, having said that, the last four games, the last three games, excuse me, uh, they got torched by Carolina. They just happened to win that game, which was kind of ridiculous. I mean, Bryce Young's terrible all year, and they made him look like an all-world quarterback. Uh, They have taken more chances. They've been more aggressive. Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, everybody thought he was going to get canned after the Giants, Buccaneers, and Carolina games. Those were three terrible games by that defense, uh, allowing you know pedestrian quarterbacks at best to look like world beaters. He has changed. They've become more aggressive, and it's worked hand-in-hand with the offense playing better, getting leads, being able to be more aggressive on defense. That's helped. Having said all that, even though they're playing better, they have not faced a group uh, like San Francisco, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what happens. But that edge certainly favors San Francisco. But if the offense can help the defense out like it has the last three games, then they got a better shot of hanging in there. Packers will be in San Francisco. Chris Ross, sports director, WBAY in Green Bay. Appreciate it, Chris. All right, guys. Thank you. Scott Reynolds, Pewter Report, down in Tampa, Florida, talking about the Bucks. All right, Scott, here's the question that I have for you. In week six, the Bucks and Lions played. Lions got the better of that one, 20-6. Do we learn anything from that game that can apply here to the postseason? Yeah, the Buccaneers have really turned into an entirely different team. It's a younger Buccaneer team than it was under Tom Brady and, and uh, the older version of, of the team in the 2022 season. This year's Bucks, it just took a while for them to grow up. Todd Bowles has had to play a lot of young players and rookies, and they've matured. You've seen that now winning six of their last seven games, including that playoff win over the Eagles. I think the Buccaneers' ground game and their ability to run the football has been the big difference on offense. It's getting 
Baker Mayfield more balanced and, and really open up that play-action passing game. And defensively, we've just seen players like Yaya Diaby and Kalaja Kanti from this year's draft class, along with Zion McCollum in the secondary, really get some uh, experience and seasoning that, that they need. And this is going to be a much better and different Buccaneer team than the one that the Lions faced in Week 6. You bring up Baker there. He was basically left for dead and tightroping that bust label in Carolina. What's the biggest change that's happened for him in Tampa Bay? I think this Dave Canales offense fits him like a glove. It's the same system that Canales brought uh, down from Seattle that's allowed Geno Smith to resuscitate his career after being a, a journeyman backup for most of his time in the league, and it's it's worked wonders for Baker Mayfield. He's a great system fit, and it doesn't hurt having Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to throw to, the best one-two punch of receiver that he's ever had to work with. So I think that combined with, again, Rashad White and, and this ground game that's that's been improving all year long, it's really allowed Baker Mayfield to not have to shoulder the entire load and become that face of the franchise. He can really be more of the point guard and distribute the ball than having to be that shooting guard that has to go out and score 30 uh, on a given night to win. And, and I think he's relished that role. The interceptions have gone down. The touchdowns have gone up. And uh, he is that infectious leader that brings some grit and toughness from the quarterback position for Tampa Bay. Does Tampa Bay come up with any new wrinkle unforeseen previously to try to disrupt Jared Goff? Well, you know what? Uh, that's really been... Uh, the big puzzle that Todd Bowles has yet to solve. Golf has really gone off in three games against Todd Bowles' defense. Two with the Rams. Uh, the Buccaneers won the first one back in 2019. But then, more important one is the recent one with the Lions. Uh, Golf was unstoppable. Two touchdowns, no interceptions, and over 300 yards. He's tough because if you blitz him, he can process things so quickly, get rid of the ball so quickly that the blitz just might not get there. And then you're leaving your, your covers to, to being susceptible. The Lions have so many weapons. I don't know what Todd Bowles is going to do about that, but I do know that he might do something unconventional. He whipped out a six-man defensive line that featured four defensive tackles last week to help shut down the Eagles' ground game. So he's going to have to reach for something uh, in his uh, box of tools that maybe we haven't seen yet because – he hasn't had success stopping Jared Goff yet as a defensive coordinator. Scott Reynolds, Pewter Report in Tampa. We appreciate the time. Anytime. Thank you. All right, Detroit. Tim Twentyman is the senior writer for DetroitLions.com. Tim, so much excitement about the Lions winning that playoff game and getting that monkey off their back. Any chance that that leads to a letdown now as Tampa Bay comes in? Boy, I'd be really surprised by that. What's better than one playoff game at home? Well, two playoff games at home. And so that's what Detroit has. And who knows what happens with Green Bay on Saturday. It could be three playoff games at home if they can uh, go to San Francisco and upset the 49ers. So, look, Ford Field's going to be crazy. It was the loudest decibel, uh, the fourth loudest decibel in NFL history in there. It's going to be even louder this week. And I'd be really surprised if there's a letdown with Detroit. They, they, they have everything, uh, all their goals in their grasp. Tim, I'm taking slight nostalgia angle. Did you ever think, thinking back to the 0-16 season, all the struggles in between, that a secondary market nosebleed ticket at Ford Field would be going for $635 on the secondary market? Did you ever imagine that that would happen for the Lions? I would be, I'd be lying if I said yes, but I will tell you just with how faithful the Lions fans have been through all of that that you described and, and really much more, that if this team ever got good, look, this is a football town. 
it's lunch pail, working class, right? And, and they love football here. And if this team ever got good, I knew it could get really fun. And now, finally, it's been a while, but we're seeing the fruits of that labor. Different Bucks team than the one Detroit beat midway through the season. Do they come up with new looks or do they stick with what worked? Well, you know, I, I, I think Todd Bowles got to stick with what got you here, right? You know, he's an aggressive guy. They blitz about 40% of the time, which is third most in the NFL. And look, they're playing a Detroit Lions team that's arguably one of the top three offensive lines uh, in the game. They handled that blitz pretty well the first time around. Now, look, he's going to throw, you know, a couple new wrinkles that Detroit uh, hasn't seen. But at home, in a controlled environment, uh, they'll be able to, uh, crowd goals won't be an issue, so they'll be able to to get the checks and everything else. There's going to be some wrinkles, but but I think you got to stay true to who you are. They're going to put six in the box, try to stop the run, come after Jared Goff, and if the Lions can block it up, they can, they can make some big plays. Tim Twentyman, DetroitLions.com. Enjoy the game. All right, guys. Josh Briscoe, The Zone 810 in Kansas City. First question right out of the box. Buffalo, this is somebody they're familiar with. What does KC do differently against Josh Allen that perhaps they haven't done before? That's a great question that we're all going to have to find out together because that's kind of Bags' game, right? The thing that he talked about in pressers this week and leading up to this matchup, that they have to be able to show him plenty of different things, and they have a lot of weird strengths at different depths across this defense. They're going to handle Stephon Diggs on the outside. That'll be a luxurious knee problem. That that was a, a great example for this Chiefs defense last time through. They have a little more athleticism at linebacker than they've had previously. Drew Tranquil wasn't out there the first time through in the regular season this year, so it's going to be about personnel and then Spags trying to give Josh Allen a wrinkle he hasn't studied for. Josh, have you determined what yard marker Stephon Diggs is going to be standing post game? No, I'm just kidding. That's not my question. Uh, <laughs> I made that joke earlier this week. That's a good joke. No, I I, I stole it from you. For the <laughs> Chiefs, what is more important to success? Having a third pass catching option besides Rice and Kelsey or trimming down the self-inflicted wounds? It's the latter. It's a great question, but it's absolutely the second part. Because if they add another weapon, that's great. They will eventually need somebody to make a play downfield. But the biggest thing is that they do not shoot themselves in the foot. If they run this offense through Patrick Mahomes via the three-headed weapon of, of uh, I almost said Canarius Tony, obviously not him, the three-headed weapon of Isaiah Pacheco, Travis Kelsey, and Rasheed Rice, not even necessarily in that order, those three guys with Mahomes with no self-inflicted wounds, that team wins the Super Bowl, honestly. Uh, I don't know if another weapon is going to show up at any point. First road playoff game for Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City Chiefs. Josh Briscoe's The Zone, 810 Kansas City. Appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Josh Reed of WIVB in Buffalo is the Joe Montana of our two-minute drill, a regular that we go to. Here's the bottom line, Josh. The Bills had a gauntlet to finish the season. They did it masterfully now into the postseason. Can they sustain this level of play for some six straight games? Yeah, that's right. I mean, they're on their longest win streak of the season heading into the big one against the Chiefs coming up Sunday night, and I do believe they can. Um, you know, I think you know, one of the, the storylines everybody's kind of looking at is Patrick Mahomes is finally forced to come to Western New York and play a playoff game in Buffalo. The Bills have had to travel to Arrowhead twice. They came up empty twice in the postseason. It's a completely different story when the game's not in Arrowhead. It's now the Chiefs offense and Patrick Mahomes who has to worry about the crowd noise. They have to worry about audibling and, and, and dealing with everything outside of just the game. They have to deal with the crowd now, and it's not Josh Allen and the Bills offense. They'll be able to go out and audible and do everything that they want to be able to do and make adjustments on the fly. As long as they have Josh Allen, it feels like the Bills window will always be open, but if they falter this weekend, how different does this roster look a year from now? 
way different. It's just it's going to look way different. The the spot that they're in salary cap wise, there's going to have to be some subtraction. Now, Brandon Bean has shown over and over again that he can land some sneaky studs in free agency, and in particular late in free agency. Keep in mind Leonard Floyd, who is having a phenomenal season getting after the quarterback of the Bills. They added him a month before training camp started. I mean, it was just kind of a guy that I think just went under the radar for 31 other teams, and quite frankly, 32, because if the Bills thought he was that good, they would have jumped out and signed him immediately. But yeah, this this is going to be an interesting year. Gabe Davis is going to be the big-name free agent for the Bills that's on the Bills roster right now that's, you know, he's getting a new deal somewhere. I don't believe, I don't know this, I don't have inside information on this, I don't believe it's going to be in Buffalo. I just, I think that, I think the inconsistencies and the money he's going to want, and quite frankly, teams are always looking for a top tier, if you will. I think he's a two, maybe a three receiver, but somebody's going to play him, pay him like a top end two target. Josh, finally, what's the weather forecast in western New York and Buffalo this weekend? Well, we've got a ton of snow already, so we don't need any more of that, and I don't think we're going to get much more of that. It's just going to be cold, which it's not really a home field advantage for either team, right? We all know that it gets plenty cold in Kansas City. If you All you needed to do was watch last weekend's game, right? So both these teams are used to playing in this element. The temperature's not going to be an issue. It gets windy here. It gets windy in Kansas City, not as windy. If both of these quarterbacks got plenty of arm strength to zip it through the wind, so I, weather's not going to play a factor in this one. Josh Reed, WIVB in Buffalo. Appreciate it as always. Great. Thanks for having me. Have a good weekend. That's how we do it. The two-minute drill flying around and hitting every spot. Spare San Francisco in the NFL playoffs. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Uh, joining us now on the program, you hear him in the morning, of course, with Andy Sweeney, the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kevin Bowen joins us. And Kevin, I'll allow you to clarify the comments yesterday that Eddie got in hot water. Eddie, you're, you're, you attributed to Kevin Bowen what exactly? I said he wasn't in favor of the Siakam trade. I thought you said he had a which, pitchfork. No, is no, that wrong? Okay, no. my bad. Sorry. To which I was brought to my attention that he was just in preference of OG Ananobi. Okay, Kevin, uh, your thoughts on Pascal Siakam in the trade? Boy, this is uh, certainly taking a life of its own. I feel like I uh, I got the Southern Indiana, like, I, I don't know any politically correct way to um, describe it. Uh, double team is in my uh, brain. I know that doesn't sound great, but boy, yeah, Andy Sweeney and JMV have been all over this. Um, yeah, I would say lukewarm. 
is that fair? Um, you know, I, I tweeted out. I mean, hell, maybe I should just read the tweet. Uh, when the trade went down, what did I say here? Um, you know, I think with anything, everybody wants you to be black and white. I think they're just – it's not necessarily that easy. So, okay, what I like, legit score, creator at a major position of need. I mean, hell, Jake, you and I have been talking about this position for quite some time. Uh, and it also shows Tyrese Halliburton you're going to swing. And I think that really, really matters uh, whether you like it or not in today's NBA. Questions. Uh, doesn't match others' timeline. Defensive, defensive questions remain. Limits you from anything else major in the next couple of years. And the injury questions for really any player – Post age thirty. How dare you? Uh, so yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah Kevin, I'm actually. You, you know what, Kevin? I'm with you, and and I'll tell you why. I think he's a good player. Um, you know, defensively, I think he. They are counting on him to kind of upgrade defensively or or buy in defensively. They absolutely, I would assume, are assured that he is going to. If he doesn't re-sign here, then it's a total swing and a miss. But. Um, this is probably unpopular opinion, Kevin. I know he's a very good player, and I know he will be very good here. But part of me feels like if you're going to have two max contracts on the same roster, Siakam would be like in the lower end of guys that I would want as a max contract guy. Boy, I... I mean, I hate to say this publicly, but yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that, Jake. Um, yeah, I, I think that's pretty well said. You know, Ananobi, again, is someone that for me, I guess it's just easy to compare the two because they came from the same team and they were just recently traded. That's one that I would be, you know, much more than lukewarm on had you got him. I mean, hell, look at his first couple of weeks with the Knicks if you want to see a player impact on both ends of the floor. He's been 50, 40, 90, and, and they've been tremendous with him defensively. And then I just think giving two hundred and fifty million, assuming you are, um, to you know a guy in his thirties, I mean there there is some risk with that. Um, so I think that's where again I'm just a little lukewarm. Again, Jake, you've certainly seen me have probably a, a bit of questionable uh, man crushes on past Pacers moves. Uh, this is just not one that I put into that category. There, I still think Siakam can be a really important piece for you. Again, the things I like, he can really help. I think when things bog down offensively or Halliburton is, you know, other teams try to take him out of the game to the nth degree, I think that is helpful. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I'm just not, you know, making around Monument Circle right now. KB, I don't disagree with anything you said except for one aspect, and I'm sure you've made this differentiation as well over the course of the week. But, yes, I too would have rather had OG and Anobi. The problem is you would have had to do something they weren't willing to do, which was gut the roster in a way – like the Knicks did. You would have had to forego either a piece of the future that you think you can develop into something special, or you would have had to, I guess, add more draft capital there, even though it looked like at the time the Raptors wanted young pieces, not draft picks. Then I guess they ultimately were swayed by the package that the Pacers gave. But why I get separated between those two is you would have had to give up a Benedict Matherin or a Jairus Walker like the Knicks said goodbye to Emmanuel quickly and others. Would you have been comfortable doing that if that was what the, the path they could have gone down? Yeah, I'll start by, by saying I, I agree with part of that, and then I disagree with part of that. The the agreement is yes, the the the, the trade would have looked differently as you laid out there. Um, you know, probably a little bit more player centric than just the three picks plus Bruce Brown. Where I would disagree is the gut the roster phrase. Um, I mean, look at the Knicks since the OG and Anobi trade, and I know it's a small sample size, but it's all we can go off of. 
Uh, they did not gut the roster whatsoever. They've been one of the better teams in the month of January, uh, and they still have their two you know, best players, right, in Jalen Brunson and Julius Randle, to go around. Ananobi, um, I think Emmanuel quickly and R.J. Barrett would, I, I don't know, qualify probably more in a, yeah, a, a Matherin-centric comparison is fair. Uh, no, I, I would not have been good with Matherin. Jairus Walker, I, I probably reluctantly could have been talked into it a little bit because, again, Ananobi for me, um, he immediately heavily answers the biggest need that we've talked about for the first, you know, whatever, three months of this season. It's been defense, defense, defense. And I think Halliburton is so blank and gifted offensively that he just raises guys on that end of the floor. And I'm not going to act like, you know, finding a Robin isn't important. It is. But I think Halliburton helps out those guys become even better offensively and he can't do that on the other end of the floor. I mean, frankly, he's at times a liability on that end of the floor. So that's where I kind of look at it and think, give me the elite-level defender, because I think that is harder to find. And, you know, you guys, you know, I, I'm sure I've talked with Tony East, and, you know, he, he shared this stat before about, you know, when you look at last year in the playoffs, it goes over it goes seven of the eight teams in the opening round um, that advanced were top half in the league defensively. So, um, and, and I don't want to act like Siakam is like me out there on the defensive end of the floor, but, you know, if you talk or, you know, listen to people that watch the Raptors nightly, um, you know, we had a guy on earlier this week that, you know, called him a passable defender. Uh, I've heard the phrase, you know, maybe he has lost a step uh, as he nears age 30. Now, who knows, maybe a rejuvenated, you know, Siakam could be there as he closes out this contract year and uh, as he finds a new home, but, uh, I think it'd be you know totally unfair to act like he's Ananobi on that end. But yes, the trade would be different. Uh, Walker possibly wouldn't be my favorite thing in the world. Mather would be a no. But I still think the three first round picks would have done something to uh, yeah to entice the Raptors. I feel like Siakam. You're looking for Robin, and you got Aquaman. Like he's really good, and he does. He, there are some things he does that are really elite. But you take him out of the water, and he's got some limitations. Yeah, I I, I like that. I, I'd also say this, and and Jake, you let in with the Paul George comment, and and you know, I I think that is a real thing that we need to give more credence to of Tyrese Halliburton and. You know, I, I was bullish on this throughout the Team USA experience for Halliburton, and, and you started to hear player comments coming out of that experience. I, I would argue Halliburton ranks right up there with any player in the league the guys want to play with right now. And while the Siakams and Ananobis of the world might not seem readily available as crystal clear as those two have been, really for the better part of the last year, I think players like that, um, they are just hiding behind a tree, and if you make the right call and you catch a team at the right time, you can find those guys. I mean, hell, look at Halliburton himself. You know, two years ago, multiple weeks before the trade deadline, no one would have thought Sacramento was going to part ways with Halliburton. Then all of a sudden, the Pacers, you know, offered the right package, and boom, you have the trade that has you know reshaped this franchise moving forward. Um, again, I think you. I heard Adrian Wojnarowski use this quote about Halliburton yesterday, and I thought it was a great quote of Halliburton allows the Pacers to play up a level market-wise. You know, typically we, we we hear players of this ilk, and we don't think the Pacers can be on the other markets. I think Halliburton's presence allows them 
to be a player in that. So, again, I know that Siakam, it's been the rumored guy for the past year. I think there are other guys that might not be as obvious right now, but are kind of lurking in that, oh, man, uh, I would love to have been in Indiana, or I would like to play next to Tyrese Halliburton. And frankly, I think the All-Star game is only going to help that when Halliburton you know, gets even more face time with those guys in his own city. So uh, in the here and now, um, it seemed like we all were just super into this, like, Siakam or bust, Siakam or bust. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I get that some guys are on certain timelines that you have to make decisions on. But I think even when you get to this offseason, there will be others uh, of a similar caliber, maybe a little younger, that are very open-minded to coming here to Indiana as well. I guess the one good news is, not one, I mean, Siakam's a very good player, don't get me wrong, but... You know, assuming that he resigns here, they did not theoretically, Kevin, really give up a lot to get him. I know that, that you know the picks, sure. but we you know we've gone over all of that. Uh, what was your favorite Sports Illustrated cover of all time? Uh, not Tiger including Mas- the swimsuit issues. Well, yeah. Oh boy. Um, yeah, Tiger Masters, who a one or o two win, uh, one of the two. It's the shot behind the 18th tee for my Sports Illustrated cover nerds out there that collect them, like I have done um yeah it's the beautiful shot down the 18th at augusta tigers at the top of his backswing um yeah that to me is the uh is the iconic one what's the one you, you've always brought it up to me you were furious after what iu national title that they weren't on the cover i just talked about it, 87 i listen and this probably was their undoing to be honest with you i mean it was all downhill from from there indiana wins the national title on a last second shot essentially i mean seven seconds left right key smart and they put the Cleveland Indians on the cover. It said Indian Uprising with Corey Snyder and Joe Carter, and that team lost 100 games that year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Yeah. Shame you're not so bitter about it here 36 I, years later, I, whatever it is. You know, my uh, my nephew came over a few weeks ago, and I've, I've been, you know, he's really into you know, sporting cards. He's, he's seven, and I've been kind of showing him some of my old ones. I actually gave him a few of my old sport ornaments that Maddie was very grateful, didn't have to go on the tree. And I started looking through my Sports Illustrated covers, and I, I did have to laugh at one. Uh, he had one of Tyrone Willingham when Notre Dame was, I believe, 9-0. and at one point during Willingham's first season there. So there were a lot of covers that as I went through them, you know, I might not plaster them on the wall, but certainly ones that uh, gave me a good chuckle. Well, you know, Kevin, Sports Illustrated, and the reason we're mentioning this, folks, you know, we just mentioned it a few minutes ago, Sports Illustrated, their parent company, emailing staff today that, you know, there are going to be massive layoffs and, you know, the, the future of the the business is certainly in jeopardy. We hope the best for everybody that's involved with that. Um, Sports Illustrated, though, Kevin, is one of those things, kind of like baseball cards, where everybody was collecting them and holding on to them, and so there's like no value to them. But I think most guys still have like that box in the basement of old Sports Illustrated's, right? And they're they are kind of fun to flip through, admittedly. I, you know, yeah. And I don't, I don't want to speak in hyperbole here, but like I don't know if. Sports Illustrated hadn't been around. I don't know if I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Like, it had that sort of impact on me as as a young kid. I mean, I, I didn't love writing. I, like, that was not uh, something that I enjoyed doing. I was probably much more of, like, a math geography nerd back in school than, than writing. But flipping to the back page to read Rick Riley was, was a must for me. And, um, I mean, every Thursday. I remember, like, it was yesterday. I'd be sprinting to the mailbox to get my Sports Illustrated. and. 
Um, yeah, it, it's a, it's an extremely sad day for that. And I do want to mention, you know, here locally, um, whether it's Jake Arthur covering the Colts, whether it's Tony East, you know, covering the Pacers. Um, I, I've texted both of them, and and I don't, I, I don't, I think for now, they're they are okay. I think they're maybe in like a subset that necessarily wasn't directly impacted. But I say for now, um, unfortunately. Um, but again, those are two really really talented dudes who do great work, and Tony specifically, you know, is on so many of our shows and. Uh, obviously thinking about them because, you know, you and I both certainly have been uh, in these situations before where, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and you just don't know. Kevin Bowen is our guest. You hear him weekday 7 to 10 a.m. on the wake-up call with KB and Andy. Kev, going back to the Pacers, when you look at the departure of Bruce Brown and his brief stint here and you look at their willingness to move on from him, did it have more to do with your mind of – just a salary match or did it make more sense in terms of where the Pacers are from a timeline standpoint? By that, I mean, Jake and I discussed this yesterday. I felt like Bruce Brown was a perfect fit for the Nuggets last year because they already were a championship starting five and he was a perfect six man off the bench. Were they maybe a year early with that piece or do you think I'm reading too much into that and it was just a salary match? No, that's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, from Toronto's standpoint, it sounds like they might be open-minded to moving Brown again, like for a championship-type team. So maybe they viewed Brown as, you know, he, he's not necessarily going to be a part of our future, but, um, you know, we can even get more down the road by moving him here in the next couple of weeks. And I, it looked like he had a pretty nice debut for them last night. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe a hair early on that. Maybe there was a little bit of like, Ah, oh, boy, that, you know, that tier one defender, I'm trying to think of like a Rick Carlisle phrase he's always used with Bruce Brown. Like, okay, it, maybe it's there, but like it's not necessarily there against the big wings in the East. You know, maybe it's more there against a Damian Lillard or, you know, Drew Holiday. I'm trying to think of, you know, maybe a little bit shorter guards that, that, that you would look at. Um, I thought Brown, since his injury, though, you know, again, he missed what was it, a couple games there with that knee injury. Um, since he's come back, I, I thought he had given the Pacers a little bit more um, here recently. You know, it, that that stretch kind of mid-December when they gave up, what was it, like 150 to the Clippers that one night. And then they had the practice after, and they've been much better defensively since then. I do think he was, you know, giving you a good amount. I mean, hell, his best game of the season might have been Sunday in Denver for the ring ceremony. He was very good in that game as well. But, yeah, it, 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 that is probably a good point, Jimmy. You know, maybe it's a hair early for a move like that, um, when in reality this is still a team that, um, you know, I, I don't think is at that doorstep. Jumping around a little bit with you here, is this year around IU hoops so weird, so strange, that despite the fact they are 11.5-point underdogs tonight at Wisconsin – that it would just be so apropos for this to be the team that somehow wins in Wisconsin for the first time since 98? Boy, um, talk about a thought that hasn't crossed my mind all day. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I don't know how strange it's been. Like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, out-of-body results that IU's even had in a positive way this season. I guess Kansas <laughs> for 37 minutes. Like, I, I don't – I mean, I, I haven't seen them pull off an upset. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something, but I mean, the best win is what Ohio state at home or yeah. at, you know, at, at Michigan. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. That sounds at Michigan. Like, so I, yeah, I, I don't, I mean, cause I this is one you need, like there. this is absolutely one you need yeah, in yeah. terms of where you're at and counting quad one, quad two wins. If you're a nerd like me. 
No, 1,000%. I mean, I, I said it today, and I preface it by saying to Andy, like, I feel so dumb for even talking about IU and a NCAA tournament resume because, like, we aren't there yet. Even a win tonight, right? you are still multiple wins of this sort of, you know, uh, road, top 25, everyone described it, uh, description from really, truly discussing it. But honestly, and the fan base, you know, a large chunk won't look at it in this light, but from a purely NCAA tournament resume standpoint, tonight means more than Tuesday did. Um, just strictly from yeah. a what have you done away from home because they've done nothing outside of, you know, at Michigan and and Louisville, which, again, is not Louisville. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be wild, to say the least, if that were to happen. I, I, we'll, we'll see if Jake can get this one. Uh, Jake, do you remember the leading score the last time IU won in Madison? We looked this up today. In 98? Ninety-eight. Uh-huh. Okay, give me, think, give me, uh, yeah. give me three guesses here. Uh, I'll go with. Uh, boy, I'm I'm forgetting years of transfer. Luke Record be my first guess. I want to say he had the third or fourth most points in the okay. game. Jason Collier. Nope. AJ Guyton. I want to say Guyton was second, maybe. Michael Lewis was also on that list. Uh, Twenty-three and twelve, if I remember correctly, for Andre Patterson. Okay. Boy, that's. And Andre Patterson was a was a good player, like for like fifteen games. I mean, just based on you know he was so highly touted coming in, and then he had his one shining moment with, I think it was thirty nine against Duke. But that would make sense. I mean, he was a good player, obviously, finished strong. There was such a weird thing back then, Kevin, where it was almost like once guys knew they were out from underneath Knight's grip in the second half of their senior year, they finally became players. It was it was a weird deal for sure. Um, hey, let me ask you this, Kevin. Yesterday, Greg Doyle was on with John. We had Bob Kravitz on. Both of them had the same point, which I think is interesting, and I don't totally disagree with it, that it's time for Jim Irsay to hand over control of his football team to the daughters. Now, I don't mean that to say that there is any thought or anything like that that he will not overcome the health challenges that he currently has. But if he is not able to be around the team from a health standpoint day-to-day, is it a fair statement to say that they should begin exploring a transfer of power within the Colts? Yeah, I, I certainly uh, understand or I guess agree with you know what Bob and Greg laid out um, in, in their respective columns. I also think, and I brought this up to Greg Rickshaw, we had him on earlier today, I don't know if it's a misconception, but, like, Jim Irsay is not making that many daily decisions for the Colts, and I don't think has done that for quite some time, really. Um, I mean, sure, when you talk about the top of the food chain of a sign-off on Shane Steichen, you know, sign – I mean, hell, hire Chris Ballard, uh, you know, big financial decisions in regards to, I guess, you know, whatever, stadium, city stuff. Yeah, I mean, he, he's certainly league league meeting stuff. Yeah, he's involved. But, you know, day-to-day operations, and, and I would argue, and maybe it's too high of a percentage to throw on it, I'd argue 90% of the stuff, you know, Carly Ursay, the oldest daughter who, you know, I think if anybody has been out to training camp practice or certainly even at Colts games has seen her on the sidelines. I mean, she is the one that is the the leader in that. Pete Ward, their longtime COO, longtime I mean, he's pretty much an Ursay without the last name. You know, he would be one that is making a lot of those decisions as well. You know, even Kaylin Ursay or Kaylin Jackson, I should say, the youngest Ursay daughter as well. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it, I, I don't – I just feel like 
you know, people are, uh, I don't know, assuming that, you know, Ursa is like the CEO of a startup company and is in the office every day. I, I don't, I, I don't think that's necessarily true with him. I mean, hell, he's doing a lot from, you know, a, a collection standpoint and he certainly travels a good amount. Um, so that, you know, passing of the torch, however you want to describe it, I don't think it's maybe as immense day-to-day operationally for the organization as one might think. Certainly, there are some big, big decisions at any time. There's a change in power, and financially, um, you know, passing that down to a different generation, there are plenty of questions left to be answered. Uh, but I think just right now, and, and I could say this for the past, you know, X amount of years, um, I think that he's given a lot of control to his daughters and to Pete Ward from a day-to-day standpoint. Now, life is full of things to manage your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Kevin, allow me to ask this. We knew, we found out earlier today, I saw that, and this seems to be like an every year thing now, but that the Combine is going to be back in Indianapolis for another year. I mean, we know that. The NFL calendar is such that the owners' meetings are the next, the next NFL owners' meetings would be when? End of March. Um, That's their biggest one of the year. It's their annual meetings. Um, and yeah, JMB and I were talking about this on Wednesday. That is one I'm very looking uh, looking forward to. Isn't the, right, isn't the right phrase, but that's one I think to pay attention to because you know, John asked me, you know, when would we hear something from the league? And I think that, and that's what I was going to ask you is if he if if Jim Mercer is not able to go to that, Kevin, does the league then? In the past, I think one of the daughters has gone to the owners' meetings, but like if Jim Mercer himself is not physically there. Does the league or do the other owners then ask questions or speak up or however you want to look at it? Yeah, I, I think the league even announces like, hey, you know, uh, Carly Ursay will be voting on behalf of the Colts at these league meetings. I, I'm pretty sure the league has done that in the past with other ownerships um, that have had whatever similar situation like this. Um, and, and, I mean, the whole family goes to the owners' meetings. Again, Pete Ward is there. I mean, it, uh, Shane Steichen and Chris Bauer are there. I mean, it, it's a huge ordeal the annual meetings in uh in march they flip-flop from florida and arizona every year so um, again i would think you'd get some sort of announcement and jim ursay usually speaks you know um to you know members of the local media that 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 travel to that as well so you know more so than the combine honestly in late february i I don't recall ursay ever having a super public presence at the combine uh it would definitely be those annual meetings which is probably a hair over two months from now of when you would get potentially the next comment from the Colts or even the league stepping in and saying, you know, okay, when we vote for whatever, this TV contract or international games here or this rule change, uh, you know, one of the 32 representatives, the Colts will have, you know, again, Carly Ursay or or whoever uh, on behalf of them. I honestly think that was the case in 2014, right? Because he was suspended, was it six games or six months? I kind of forget 
exactly what that was back in 2014. But I think then that was when Carly took on I think, a, I think a, a it was very six big games. presence. I think it was six games. Okay, six games. And then trying to think, there was like a Super Bowl meeting. One of the fall meetings, I think, was in Atlanta. And that was when Ursay, the first time he had talked after the arrest, after the, um, you know, the arrest that he brought up with Andrew Kramer a couple, couple months ago. So I, I think back then, 2014, if I'm remembering correctly, that would have been Carly, you know, taking the charge then. KB, it's divisional round this weekend of the Texans, Packers, Buccaneers, or my Chiefs. You could pick one underdog to hit your wagons to divisional round weekend. Who are you taking? God, do I really have to say the Chiefs? It was a trap question to set you up that way. If that's the way you want to go, welcome. Welcome, brother. Well, welcome to the kingdom. <laughs> I mean, Buffalo's really banged up, right? Defensively, yes. They 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 they're not quite to Miami's level, but yes, they are. No, Gabe Davis. I think I Correct. saw as yep. well. I mean, yep. he's you know probably their 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 number two wideout. Obviously, he's had some big moments. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, Jimmy. There's so much in my heart that wants Buffalo and Detroit in the Super Bowl. So much of it, and the Western New York fan base. I just love to see their reaction if they were to get it done. But, I mean, in a weird way, in Kansas City, I would say slightly more so than Buffalo, you know, both these teams all of a sudden have a running back. And, like, Mm -hmm. I I would say a run game you can kind of rely on. Um, You know, with Buffalo, it's like, yeah, Josh Allen on a sweet play. Like, it's Ron Colley football back with, you know, Paul (laughs) Casaro. It's like that was their, you know, major rushing offense, you know, back in the past few years. Now it's like, no, James Cook's the real deal. And Isaiah Pacheco is very good as well. So, I, I guess both teams are kind of better equipped to handle this weather, but um, I do think Houston can can potentially keep it interesting. You know, I thought the Marlon Humphrey Ravens top corner being ruled out it doesn't look like Mark Andrews is going to play. Uh, I am kind of curious if Lamar Jackson feels any of that, you know, playoff record pressure at all. So I'm curious if Houston can make it interesting tomorrow at all. But yeah, I would say probably Kansas City is the one you would have to go with. Only one James Cook gets happiness this week. And here's it's me, my. So. Be clear. <laughs> Here's my query guarantee. You ready? Uh oh. Nah, guarantees oh guarantees strong, but my prediction. Is this, this like a, Charles is Barkley? This, is this a debut guarantee like Eddie mentioned, like Charles, no, or have just, you done this, this in the is, past? I have a gut feeling on this and, right. and and my gut's a little bigger than it used to be. Um Kevin, you give me your reaction to this. Both Baltimore and San Francisco will not win this weekend. One of those two is gonna get knocked off. Well, before my reaction, is this like your guarantee of Indiana beating Michigan back this fall? <laughs> oh, that listen. <laughs> I had forgotten. I thought when I made that guarantee, and I'm sticking by it, I thought Tom Allen was getting fired before that. I, I didn't know that Tom Allen was making the trip. Once I found that out, I, you know, it was tough, right? Yeah, right. 52 to 7, the uh, interim coach would have. They were up 7 nothing. They were up 7 nothing. D- don't kid yourself. Or whatever that final score was. Uh, yeah. Again, Houston and Baltimore is interesting to me. And I, I think Jordan Love is, you know, such a tantalizing the word popping in my head of like, you know, I, I, I can't wait to watch that as well. But every time I felt that way about San Francisco and have written off Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan just laughs at me. So I can't go there. But can Houston put game pressure on Baltimore? You know, Baltimore, it's not like – I don't think we're on Peyton Manning 06 levels. But, like, there is – I think there's a lot of pressure on Baltimore just of, you know, being the – what are, what are they, 10-point favorites, something yeah. like that, at home? and um, So that is one that I'm keeping my keeping my eye on. I um, By the way, Jordan Love, before we let you go, Kevin, during the draft process, Chris Ballard was not high on Jordan Love, correct? Yeah, not a big fan of the character. Um, 
Yeah, they did a they had a call with Love Ballard specifically with him. You know, just in the days leading up to the draft, and I don't think it was blown away by the very immense kind of quarterback character trait that Ballard has out there. And if you remember, you know, Love, I forget what the exact arrest was, but some sort of possession of marijuana. I think or that's what it was, right, or a positive right test, before, right? Yeah, right before the bowl game, and. Um, so, yeah, that, that was the hot rumor that the Colts were going to trade back into round one. That was the year they traded their pick for DeForest Buckner. People thought they'd trade back into round one and take love, and that was the COVID draft, and Ballard made it very clear after round one was complete when Green Bay took him at 26 that he was like, nope, 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 that could not be further from the truth. I was eating popcorn watching the draft, and, yeah, we did not think about a quarterback at all. They ended up taking you know Pittman early in the second round, Jonathan Taylor late in the second round, but – yeah, I mean, if you want, you know, again, hindsight's very twenty twenty. But if you look back on that draft, it, it right now is on track to go down. It's, I think, one of the better quarterback drafts in years, certainly in years. Joe Burrow, Tua, Justin Herbert, those were all in the top six. The Colts had the 13th pick before they traded for Buckner. So if you want to look at it, they passed on Jordan Love and they passed on Jalen Hurts in that draft. That would have been the first draft post-Andrew Luck. I guess – Taking DeForest Buckner 13th overall, if you want to put it in those terms, also a pretty good pick. You know what I mean? I mean, it worked out. Sure. He's, he's an elite sure. player. Um, all right, Kevin, enjoy the weekend. I don't know if Notre Dame's playing this weekend, but if they are, good luck. Enjoy it. Weekend off. Hallelujah to the Bowen household for that. Thank you, boys. <laughs> Kevin Bowen, who you'll hear at 7 o'clock in the morning talking about all the NFL games 